Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. She comes in, and uh, I guess and I tell my my buddy I'm working with, he's, I'm like, dude, there's a tiger shark over there. He's like, yeah, don't worry about her. She's fine. Just carry on with your business. And I'm like, roger that. So had it up, jumped in the water, you know, and at that point, you have to you have to maintain your focus. You can't think and create this like this story of what could happen because that <laughs> is going to be your own. You're your own worst enemy. You know, like you like especially guys who dive in uh, in black water. You dive in black water. Just close your eyes. Don't start thinking about what's in the dark because the second you do that, that's when you start getting paranoia. You start getting you know you're hyperventilating. Your heart rate jumps, that. and then that's when bad things can go even worse. So yeah. you know you got to just remain calm. And my experience of that is true. In this up uh, this dive I had just off the coast of California here, where we were working for the Edison power plant, uh, the nuclear power plant, I should say, just off of Camp Pendleton, and we were making a lot of noise. We were core drilling into this uh, concrete structure that sits over the pipelines that take the water in to cool the reactors. And as we're making all kinds of no noise, you know, we're like bringing in all kinds of just sea life. I mean, there was sheep's head, you know, calico bass, halibut, lobsters were, you know, as far as the eye can see, dude. I mean, they were everywhere. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we're doing this, you know, we're, we're working and all of a sudden we see this about 13 to 15 foot, maybe great white coming into the job site. Oh, and as we're sitting there, like I'm looking at it and I can communicate with my diver. So for those listening who don't know, we can communicate to each other underwater. So I tell my other buddy, like, hey, man, what do you know? What, what do you want to do? And he's like, don't worry about it. Just keep working. And as a diver, you're safer. You're safer in the water when it comes to sharks than you are, say, swimming yeah. or surfing. But like I said, like, uh, don't let that shy you away from going in the ocean because you're more likely to get attacked or uh, get struck by lightning than attacked by a shark. My name is Blake Riddle. I'm Dylan Harrell, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's podcast is a little bit different. We're going to go and visit some guys in Southern California uh, that have a podcast called Break Down the Dive. And these guys work in basically on the ocean, in the ocean lifestyle. They are underwater divers, commercial underwater divers. But man, what an eye opener. What all goes into being an underwater commercial diver? These guys are, are committed to helping other people both learn about what it is that they do, but also helping people who are interested in doing something like what they're doing, helping them to determine what that path is and, and make that a reality. I think it's super cool. It's very similar to a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast. But Break Down the Dive is a, is a cool podcast. I've been listening to a bunch of episodes, and uh, these guys are awesome. We've got Bre- <laughs> we have Blake Riddle. That's not very hard to say, but I made it much harder than, than, than it seemed. Blake Riddle and Dylan Harrell are uh, from Break Down the Dive, and they are coming up next. If you like this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star rating and review. That would be awesome. And if you want to be on the inner circle, go text the word TEAM, T-E-A-M, to 305-930-7346. That's how to do it. Now stay tuned for this awesome show with Break Down the Dive and Dylan and Blake. Blake, Dylan, what's up, man? How you guys doing? Good, man. How are you? Doing, doing great. Doing great. Doing awesome. Where are you guys right now? Uh, we are currently in Costa Mesa, California, just uh, outside Newport. Beautiful right. Southern California. Right on. You got your surfboard. You got your dive helmet. Looks awesome, <laughs> man. How close yeah. are you to the How close are you to the beach? Uh, walking, probably about 15. Driving, yeah. about five. Nice. Nice. How's the surf yeah. these days? Uh, right now it's, uh, it says four to six on the report, but man, I, I think didn't there's a little that. bit of surf lie there. Yeah. Huh? It didn't look that, didn't look that good. Yeah. I think they're fooling us. So yeah. sometimes you got to yeah. just go check it out yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't always trust the uh, report. You got to just kind of suit up and get out there for sure. Right on. So man, you guys are in a, in a different world. I mean, we are, we share the, the love for the outdoors and, and, you got some commercial fishing background and you've got all this other stuff, but man, your podcast is super cool. I think break down the dive is the, is the name of your podcast. And it's about, you know, I mean, you, you frame it nicely. Like this podcast is designed for people that are interested or intrigued by working underwater, you know, basically. And that's what you guys, that's what your, that's your gig, right? Yeah. It has, it has a center point around commercial diving. And we kind of revolve that around an ocean lifestyle per se, you know, captains within the maritime industry and people that want to get involved with an ocean lifestyle. So, I mean, we, we absolutely love the ocean and I'm sure, as you know, when the salt water gets a hold of your bloodstream, you just, you can't, you can't get away from it, you know? Yeah, for sure. So what, what's the backstory of how you guys got into, into this lifestyle? Well, um, about 
well, in total, uh, seven years ago, I uh, was working in the restaurant industry. And uh, as I was working around these coworkers of mine, and uh, it just didn't seem exciting. You know, the <laughs> people that I was working with were pretty unhappy with their job. And I'm just like, you know, I don't want to take that same road. So I started looking into ocean-based work. And I came across the video of a diver in the Gulf of Mexico, hard hat diver, um, who was working on a jacket, which is basically the structure that holds up the oil rigs that are uh, offshore and produce the oil. And as he was working on this rig, uh, unbeknownst to him, a green sea turtle started making its way up to him from behind. And it kind of nipped him on the shoulder. And I'm watching this at about the age of 20 years old or so. <laughs> and, and just like my eyes are stuck to the screen. I can't take my eyes off it. And the sea turtle nips him on the shoulder. He turns around and starts petting the sea turtle. And I'm like, dude, this guy's working at 200 feet, getting paid to, to pet <laughs> a sea turtle. And I, I just, I lost it. I was like, from that point, I was like researching, researching, you know, what do I got to do? Well, what is this? And I ended up finding a school. Uh, out in Jacksonville, Florida. And I decided to go like a month and a half later, I quit my job, went straight to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, I completed my six month training, which is how long the school is. And after that, I went straight back to the uh, West Coast, I decided to get into involved in uh, ship husbandry. And I was I was <laughs> wait a minute, I was that's a term I'm not familiar with ship husbandry. I know animal husbandry. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> ship. Yeah, so ship husbandry is just repair, maintenance, and upkeep of any vessel at sea okay. or at sea, uh, not at not at port, but at sea. You're going to do the maintenance in the port as well. Yeah, okay. in the port. Just okay. yeah, any ship, uh, whether it's on even it, it's it can be considered uh, ship husbandry, even if a ship is say within the Great Lakes. Okay, so it's just repair and maintenance on on vessels. Um, but I was lucky. I was lucky. My company that I started with. Um, they had two branches within their uh, their office here on the West Coast. They have a construction department as well as a ship husbandry department, which allows you to be able to acquire skill sets that some guys might not be able to access due to the fact that the company strictly does one thing. So um, after that, I fell in love with it. You know, I fell in love with the whole entire industry, uh, putting on the helmet, putting on the gear, getting in the water. It was always a challenge, and I saw a need for people wanting to get involved in this and not knowing truly what to do. Yeah. So I, you know, very quickly started making connections with people and I, I wanted to make the, um, like the mindset is much different um, than mine as far as the way the guys in the, in the industry operate. Like it's kind of very um, I'm up here, you're down here and you know, I'm not going to come down to your level and help you. So I don't want to be that kind of guy. And this guy right here, Dylan, he doesn't want to be that kind of guy. So we decided to be able to start this whole thing with the mindset of we want to help people that are involved in the ocean, whether it's fishing, whether it's surfing, if they want to progress in their sport and their passion, this is what this is about. But commercial diving is at its center. Yeah. So that's where I started uh, hanging let apparel, which then eventually transitioned into breakdown a dive. And at that point I brought Dylan Harrell on board as a co-host and a partner. Nice. That's awesome, man. That's a cool story. Cause it, it's similar. I don't know. Sim similar to my story as well. I, I like to help people get involved. We talk a lot about on this podcast about how somebody might become a fishing guide or a hunting guide or, you know, because when I, when I started um, 
as a fishing guide. <clears throat> I hadn't taken very many charters. I haven't taken many guided trips. I didn't know any fishing guides. And the thought of working as a fishing guide as a real career was, it seemed impossible. Like it didn't, well, it didn't even seem impossible. It just seemed like something that didn't exist. Like I remember this day of me going, you could do that. And like, that could be <laughs> like what you would do for the rest of your life. And it just didn't seem like, I mean, if you don't know anyone that does something like that, you've never met anyone that does something like that. It's just doesn't, it's not even an impossibility. It's just not even something that you would consider. Right. So mm -hmm. just, okay. just like you just opening people's minds to, well, yeah, like people are going down there and they're repairing these, these things. And yes, that's what they do for a living. In fact, they probably make a ton of money doing it. Um, mm -hmm. And you could do it too like that. So that's kind of the, the, the path that you guys are taking. And so what about you? What's your story? All right. Um, so I was uh, working in retail at a younger age and I quickly decided I didn't want to follow that passion. Retail. And so yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, I was working at home Depot for about a year and a half or something. Okay. Anyways, got out of that. I went to welding school, became a, a welder for some companies out in the central Valley of California. Did a lot of fabricating, um, built lots of gates for uh, canals and waterways. And then I decided I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I decided to uh, cut my ties there and head off to Alaska and see what commercial fishing was all about. Mm -hmm. So I was in Alaska for about five years um, on a long liner between uh, three different vessels in our fleet. And I absolutely, as soon as I stepped foot in Alaska, I was like, this is it, man. I, I love, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Know, being out on the water, being out on the ocean, 40 foot seas and just adapting and overcoming to all the challenges and things you learn is just amazing. 40 foot seas. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's insane. What, so a long liner in Alaska, what, what's the fish that you're catching? What are you catching on the long line boat? So we're going for lean cod. Okay. Uh, we, we potentially catch uh, Pollock every now and then mm -hmm. we'll bring those up. Um, if our quota is allowing that, but our main, our main source of our income there was getting that cod. So lean cod, what's the depth that that long line is, is fishing? Um, we are fishing around 300 to 500 feet. And, and, and what's the overall water depth that you're in the area um, that you're looking for? That was, I honestly, I think it was like around 800, maybe a okay. thousand. So a lingcod is like a mid level fish. They like kind of half water depth. Yeah. But they also, they also like the bottom as well. I mean, every now and then we'll bring up some cod that lines get pulled to the bottom with their anchors and mm. their eyes are huge. You yeah. know, <laughs> so yeah. You, you know, they were down there. Pretty, yeah. Pretty for sure. Changes. Yeah. Would you, what would you, so it was almost a hundred percent lingcod and a few other fish or, or would you have other bycatch? Uh, um, those were the two fish. Um, Mostly lean cod. I'd say 90% of it was wow. lean cod. Over yeah. time, those guys have just dialed that fishing in, you know, to where there's almost no bycatch, right? Like Yeah, uh, for, for sure. Uh, bycatch wasn't – a lot of people think, you know, commercial fishermen out in Alaska catch dolphins and sharks and things like that. On a long liner, it's the most eco-friendly type of fishing. In the five years that I've done it out there, I, I didn't see one single uh, species of that. Hmm. Every now and then a crab will come up on our line, you know, um, and we but immediately no have to put it back. No, no sharks, 
no really? dolphins because no whales. you know on no the whales. other on the other coast you know you know in the northeast i know that they yeah. are catching tons of sharks and and in yeah. other type of of long lining they're catching tons of sharks but that might be a function of the depth and the bait and the and the time of the year and all, all that uh, you know but yeah absolutely so what what's the hardest thing about that because i was about this close to um, going to Alaska and trying that for myself. And I think you should still do it, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, well, I would love to have the experience and I would love to, to experience that, but I don't, yeah. I don't think that I'm hungry enough to, to go <laughs> no, to Alaska you. and, and fish on one of those boats. Although I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see it like, you know, yeah. seeing the ocean, like you're talking about 40 footers, that's gnarly as hell, man. And, it's like an experience that you don't forget. Like I'm sure no, that 40 footers is probably not the most uh, or the biggest seas that you saw or have seen in what you guys are doing. But I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, I I think I've reached uh, seeing around a 50 foot before. Dang. Um, and and that's hurricane season out there. And and typically, uh, depends how the captain is if he wants to still keep going or not but right. most of the time we'll stop we'll stop for like a day or two with 50 calm footers. down yeah i let it get back down to around 30 35 man that is we've, I mean, we've talked about possibly then, uh going he's he's talked about going back and bringing me with him and i'm i'm all in so uh, you know if that was sounds like you're going so <laughs> yeah I, I mean i already I, I already got my bag packed, man. <laughs> yeah. So what's the opportunity? I mean, that's, that's, there's always a lure of, of that. Like you hear about people that go there and, and do make a lot of money. I mean, even, uh -huh. even we had, uh, um, we just had UFC fighter, uh, Clay Guida was on, okay. was on, uh, our show recently and I did a podcast with him and he went up there and, and, and did that. Oh, nice. And, nice. uh, I don't know if he was doing the exact same kind of fishing that you were, but he was, he was on a fishing boat in Alaska, spent some time there made a lot of money and, uh, and came back. And, um, I've, I've talked to a bunch of other people. In fact, there was this one kid that, that went and when he went, you know, he was a pretty healthy looking kid. And when he came back, he was literally, worked himself to the bone like he had uh -huh. lost so much weight and he was so tired and we went to lunch right when he got back and man, oh, man. i was like whoa that's probably is some asleep. work yeah he was and he was eating everything everything <laughs> yeah. he saw he was cramming it in and i mean he lost a good 30 pounds up there and yeah. uh and he was saying he was the guy that was throwing the the hook uh, in, in the type of fishing that he was doing to, to get the buoy. And if you okay, pass, yeah. if you pass, so I don't know exact, I, I don't really know a lot about that kind of fishing, but he was explaining it to me and it was like, look, you got maybe two shots at this buoy. And if you pass it, the captain is going to be super pissed. And that sounds like long lining. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> whatever it was, he was like, you do not miss that buoy. Like, and, and yeah, if you do, it's, you're getting it back in as fast as you can. Uh huh. But, but he was working his, ass off up there i mean like yeah. serious freaking work so um is is that your experience like i'm uh, explain like yeah, what that you, what that lifestyle is like you're you're doing around 18 to 20 hour days um depending on how the fishing is and obviously how your crew is cooperating with the work i mean every every once in a while you'll have guys um quit mid-trip what know? are they gonna they where go, are they going they they go to their rack and that's it they don't get paid. They got to pay for room and board. And, and it's, 
the teamwork required for commercial fishing is um it's very important one yeah. guy one guy off the team man and everyone's doing four hours longer in their day and you're already doing an 18 hour shift right so one guy off the team is it takes a big toll on everyone and everyone gets pretty upset about that so i would imagine i've experienced that a few times but on a deckhand perspective um see so you set the gear in the water we have 60 miles of line you throw out in the water um, that takes around six hours to do and immediately you got to haul back so you go find the end of the line it takes wherever the captain decided to set the gear sometimes it takes 10 minutes to get there and sometimes it takes you know an hour or so you find the end of the line you throw your hook in the water you get your buoys pull up your line and that that process of pulling in all the line takes around 12 to 16 hours sometimes 24 hours and so that's it's a 24-hour process your deck hands are in two shifts um deck one and deck two and uh typically when you set the gear you want all deck hands because it it's requires all hands on deck mm -hmm. um yeah man i mean it's it's long days I would long imagine days. it's super long it's, days. So how how yeah. do you go from 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 that to more of a underwater focus? So what happened was um, coming into 2018, uh, the state of Alaska was kind of dropping their quota, and the natives were taking a lot of it. And our company couldn't buy much of the quota. We only had so much, so we had to rotate guys more in and out with other boats. We had to dock a few, and only had two in operation. So a lot of guys weren't working as much. And so I was thinking of getting into a different industry at the time, uh, due to working my body so hard. Yeah. Um, so you chose commercial diving. I chose commercial <laughs> it sounds diving. Yeah. Like, sounds yeah, like you I went know, to right? the next hardest thing you could find. <laughs> yeah. oh, you're right. We were, <laughs> we were bringing a boat in dry dock and, uh, I saw these guys put on their hard hats and jump in the water and they're putting the keel blocks in so the boats can come out of the water. And I was looking at my captain and I was like, what are those guys? He's like, oh, those are the divers. And I was like, are they going underneath our boat right now? And they're like, yeah, they're putting the keel blocks. And I was thinking to myself, like, that's, that's pretty badass. That's cool. So I looked into it, uh, went out to school a few months later, um, same school that Blake went to actually in Jacksonville, Florida, about three years later though. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was, uh, wanting to work out in Florida uh, didn't work out. So I came back to the West coast and got on with the company that Blake was at. And that's how I met Blake. So I was working underwater with him for a couple of years or so. Um, balls to the wall, man. I mean, hard work again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, he got in contact with me about the podcast and we kind of linked up and, uh, here we are. Oh, well, that's super cool, man. Um, so it seems like, and maybe I don't know anything about uh, the underwater work that you're doing, but I guess you're you're fixing stuff mostly, or are you building stuff? Uh, it can vary, man. Like it really, yeah. It it depends on the job. Every job is different in its own way. Yeah. Um. You know, sometimes you're you're building piers and right. you're driving you're driving pile, and so sometimes you need a diver down there to be able to uh, inspect, say when the pile hits, it's, uh, it's dead stop and you need to go down and find out potentially if it's hitting a rock or they'll do a lot of inspection work prior to, you know, so that they know what the ecosystem is, uh, on the, the on the seabed. And then there's obviously, um, like photos and, and like 
it varies, man. Like there's like work where it can be really aggressively um, physical. Mm -hmm. And then they have work where it's like, Hey, I need you to go down and just uh, take a photo of, you know, some damage and then come back up. And like, you get paid for eight and you know, all you did was take a photo. So it, it, yeah, it has its ups and downs and it's the same way within the industry as far as uh, like scheduling and, you know, workloads. So it comes in waves. Yeah. So, but welding is obviously a big part of it. Underwater welding, right? Um, or it could it, be it, a big part. It, it, yeah, it, it can be. I mean, there's jobs that call for a lot of welding, but in, in reality, it's, it's probably less than 10% of a commercial diver's job. It's, oh, okay. To be, to be frank, it's a skill. Yeah, there's no such thing as a, an underwater welder. Like That's not really what we write on our, uh, our job title. It's, it's a, you're, you're a commercial diver who can perform underwater welding because like I said, there's not many jobs where it's like, you go to work, you weld, you get out of the water, you go home, you come back, you weld. It's, it's a lot of like cleaning and inspections and, uh, mechanical work. Like, you know, it can, it can really vary. So the reason why I fell in love with this industry so much is because you become a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. You learn how to work on the water driving boats. You learn how to work on diesel engines because obviously the mo- the motors you're running on those boats are diesel. You have hydraulic systems, you have electrical Pressure. systems. Like, it, you know, there's so many areas that you can pull from to create a very knowledgeable diver. Right. Who could, who could eventually, you know, venture outside of diving and go get a job doing something completely outside of diving, but still has a pertain like pertaining to the industry, sure. if that makes sense. So like, do you guys have your, your, um, your captain's license and can, can deliver those boats or move those boats if necessary? And you got to have, yes. all, you got to have all that or build uh, over your career. You're going to start building all of these things. You're going to get time on all these boats and you're going to get a bigger and bigger license and all that. Exactly. Right? I'm yeah. actually a, a 50 ton, uh, captain currently. Right. And I'm, I'm literally in the uh, process as we speak of, uh, acquiring my hundred ton. Okay. With a with a towing endorsement. So that requires not another test, but just more time on bigger boats, right? No, there is going to be um, have to do another some, test at that point. Some yeah, there's book work. Uh, you know, if you're dealing with uh, larger be- uh, boats as well, um, and you also have to do um, math. There's mathematical equations for like the the loads at which you can tow based off of the size of the vessel that you're you're pulling right. with. So. Um, there's a lot involved in it, but it's honestly not as long as you might think. I mean, it, you can literally do it in say three, four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then is it the same as, as the captain's license that I had that we took a test for, you know, your, your general six pack license. And then, uh, yeah. you just had to have enough hours for that to qualify for that. And then if you had more hours, you could have a higher endorsement, but you didn't have to take another test. And until you get to a higher and higher level, like what you're talking about, and then another test yes. is required, I guess. Yeah. So we took basically the same test, uh, and I got my 50 ton based off of the hours I acquired on the boats I was driving. Right. So now I have to take it again to, uh, or the upgrade, get the upgrade for my captain's hundred ton. Cause now I'm, I am now currently working on hundred ton vessels. So just acquiring those lights, those, um, those hours and I have to send it in. And from what I was told, I have to retake the test and I'm actually in uh, time to renew. Okay. My license is in the uh, renewing season. <clears throat> yeah. You want to do that because <clears throat> you don't want to have to take that test again. I know that I don't want to take yeah. the test again. 
<laughs> I make sure I renew just plenty of time, plenty of time. So, so as far as the podcast goes and what you guys, you know, your, your kind of mission behind this is to, is to show people how they can do something kind of like what you're doing or, uh, or even other things that you're not doing, right? Like working on the ocean, working as a part of, of this lifestyle, which could be what you're doing. It could be, I don't know, fishing guide. It could be something else, right? Yeah. Um, ocean conservation is, uh, a big thing in our minds as well. Um, keeping the oceans clean, man. Um, so right now we also do, uh, charter boats, mm. um, for like yachts and stuff like that. Um, so we're out on the water constantly doing that as well. Um, and actually the other day we were, we were on a charter and there was a <laughs> yeah big old trash bag just sitting out in the ocean. I was like, Blake, we got to go pick that up, man. <laughs> so I yeah, flipped her around and brought her back and back down into position so he could pick up this huge bag of trash just floating offshore. <laughs> and what did you find, dude? There was like a backpack, glasses, purse, a bunch of trash, <laughs> you know, and $10. So mother nature paid 10 us bucks. <laughs> there you go. I got a friend yeah. that picks up, he, he checks everything, man. He's like, you never yeah. know, man, one of these times I'm going to find a box of cash. Or I'm yeah. going yeah. to find something, you know, if you look at enough things, you know, there's going to be something good in there one day. Like how many, yeah. how many good things have you found? He's like, nothing yet. Yeah, he keeps looking. But there's man. always tomorrow. That's, always that's tomorrow. right, man. You never know, man. Sure. Somebody, somebody. You see a backpack floating in the water, man. Uh, never know Pick what could up. be in there. Never know, man. Yeah. So, yeah. so what about what about the merchant marines? Like I remember when my son was going, getting ready to go to college, and and we checked out the merchant marines, and I I I didn't know anything about the merchant marines, but it sounds like it sounds like that might be kind of one way to to kind of accomplish what, what you're talking about? Uh, yeah. Um, merchant Marine is definitely a way, um, get your foot in the door kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Into the, I, into the industry to a certain extent. I, I'd say so. Um, you're talking about your, you said your brothers get involved with that or no, no, no. My son, when he was getting ready to go to college, just like five years ago, uh, we were just kind of at a college fair and we went by, the merchant Marines. And he was like, you know, the guy was telling us all about it. Like what, what, what you could do in the merchant Marines. And it was my first real uh, exposure to the merchant Marines, but I, I didn't know if that was something that you guys had any experience with or, or suggested. Uh, I, I personally don't have much experience with the merchant Marine. Um, well, I mean, I, if you're talking, you're talking about people who basically work on board these container ships and, and, uh, tanker ships yeah i guess i mean like there is a an an academy like you have the naval academy you have yeah. you have uh each branch of the service has an academy and the merchant marines have an academy so uh my son was i mean he was interested in the naval academy uh so he didn't pay much attention to the guy from the merchant marine academy but nobody was talking to the guy and so he started talking to me and i was listening and i was I was really surprised at at the opportunities that there were to to go to college to get a degree and come out of college having money in your pocket, skills that you had acquired and potentially have a really good job right out of college working on a ship somewhere. And yeah. uh it was it was pretty cool. I mean it was eye-opening because I didn't know that that existed, but you know for for a young kid 
that it, it's probably a really great opportunity for a lot of kids. I, I'd say so. You get exposed to a lot of elements of being out at sea. Um, well, you know, uh, have you ever heard of a company called Matson? You might have seen a lot of their uh, containers or okay. connexes that yeah, are yeah. Uh, on the back of trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one of the largest unite. Uh, one of the largest uh, merchant mariner companies, uh, shipping companies in the United States, and probably across the world. And I have been able uh, to work on a lot of their ships. In fact, they just recently built, I think two years ago, the largest U.S. Uh, container ship, which is called the Daniel K. Anui, which is named after the uh, airport in Hawaii. Right. And yeah. uh, I've been able to work alongside these guys because when we go and do any sort of dive work on these ships, we have to board the ship, talk to the chief engineers, talk to the captains, go and perform the lockout tagouts for safety procedures. and these guys are always happy, man. Like, especially those guys. Cause they're, they are always happy. Yeah. Them. They're always going from LA to San Francisco to Hawaii. That's their route. Nice. And then they just hit all three ports, you know, back and forth. And so they're telling me that when they get to Hawaii, they get a couple of days off. They're like, yeah, man, we got friends and family that live here in Hawaii and we'll just go and surf barbecue, jump back on the ship, drive to LA. We got friends and family out here. We do the same thing. And yeah. And they're just collecting, you know, and then it is, it is dangerous work depending on what position you carry on those ships. But um, as long as you're okay with being away from home, that's tends to be the most struggling factor when it comes to anything regarding maritime, it's, it takes you away from home and family and this industry in diving is is known for that. And, yeah. um, you know, if you can deal with it, then great. But I've seen a lot of people, yeah, you know, struggle with, struggle with it. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it could be really hard on a relationship. Um, yeah, it's it's good if you're a, a single young man. Yeah. And you're probably, say, you're probably uh, putting tons of money in the bank because when you're on that ship, you're not spending any money, right? Well, well, nowadays they got everything online and the I, ships carry Wi-Fi, so you yeah. can... Spend your whole paycheck on Amazon if you yeah. wanted to, I guess. <laughs> you get home and there's a mountain of boxes ship, yeah. of shit you don't need. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Get to the dock. What is, what is all this for? Well, you tend to realize as you're uh as you're purchasing stuff from Amazon on board a ship, your your ship is actually carrying your own product you just bought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, this is fast. Yeah. <laughs> they just, somebody just yeah. brings it up from the from the bottom of the ship. Here, you just yeah. ordered this. Amazon's pretty quick, man. Yeah. So, so what do you think, what do you think you're of of this whole lifestyle and all these different um, jobs and skills that you're acquiring? Like each of you might have different uh, answer for this, but what do you think your, your favorite part of, of the way that you make a living? Like, what is it that you, that you really like about what's the fate? What's your best part? Like if you could, you'd be like, man, if we could just do this all the time, that would be super awesome. Cause I mean, it sounds like you got so many different skills and so many different opportunities and there's so many different jobs that it kind of keeps you moving a lot. But is there one thing that you like the most? That's a, that's a really good question, Tom. Um, I would say as far as a commercial diving aspect, um, first off, as soon as you touch the water and you listen to your breath and you collect yourself and you're just with your thoughts, I think that's a cool feeling. First off, um, being alone underwater and being maybe in possible areas that no man has ever touched, um, is a, is a pretty cool feeling. And as far as like the work, like, Hey, I could do this every day for me. Um, I really, 
love technical work. Um, if I can, if I can go do a thruster job every day and get inside a dewatered tunnel and get some wrenches and crank down on some blades and do a blade change out, like that's just to me that's fun and it's it's really exciting. Um, and a way to interpret that, do you like? Do you know what a thruster a thruster change out well, would a, be? Like a bow thruster. I mean, we have yeah. those on like a center console boat. It's going to help you to dock. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. going to be they're going to be about this big. I'm yeah, assuming that the ones so... that you're talking about are going to be the size of a house. Yeah, yeah, not really a house, but yes, the tunnels are. What? How tall are those tunnels? Uh, well, depends on the size of the ship. The yeah. the larger ships have a tunnel probably about uh, Eight, ten foot uh, high. Like a ten foot diameter, uh -huh. and as far as width is concerned, you're probably like, you know, fifteen foot in width. Yeah, fifteen twenty feet. Yeah. Uh, we, but so we go in there and we weld on these doors, and uh, we basically dewater the tunnel. So we dive down into the bow thruster tunnel, and we go inside, take our gear off. Basically, a habitat. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a habitat. Uh, we go in there and work on the thruster, whatever. Needs Wait, to be you done. go down in there, you weld the the doors shut. You get empty the thing of water. Uh-huh. We then, leave there's then like, you a, take there's your, like a, then you take your gear off and you're working without gear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just your wetsuit or your dry suit, depending how much, upon where how where much your oxygen's gonna in be the in there. How long can you stay in there? Uh, as long as the surface supplied air is keeping up with what Oh, you're so doing. there's a surface supplied air yes, going into yes. there. Okay. Yes. yes. At, at all times. Yeah. For the whole duration of the job. Yeah. Wow. And so that, is that a is that a tricky thing to be able to to weld a door underwater, close the door, and have it not leak? So what you do is you, you get like a a steel uh what a half inch, inch like three eighths, or three eighths three eighths plate steel plate. Uh, we get screw dog. Do you know what a screw dog is? No. Uh, it's like a little uh, L shape that has these screws and it bolts down. Okay. Onto the material. Okay. Yeah. So we basically weld screw dogs in place around to the size of the uh, door. And then you screw down those screw dogs, tighten the door shut with neoprene. So it seals it. Yeah. And then you leave about a three foot gap on the bottom for the, your air pocket and your, access, and your access point. Yeah. And your access point on both sides of the tunnel. And then you dewater, take all the water out. So now you have, since you have that gap there, it's, creating an air pocket right so so you better be a good welder when you're welding <laughs> yeah. and so now you're in there you're screwed yeah. and welded in there how do you get out well through that through that access point okay we, we leave gotcha. about a three, three I see. foot gap I see. And, yeah. and tom what i what i'll explain is you probably do know every boat on the on the bow is shaped in a v formation yes right right so when you are installing these doors you only install them about three quarters of the way down that the opening to the tunnel. So as the as the the hole becomes shallower, that door is higher up, which leaves you an access point to be able to climb inside, climb out, or send out uh, tools, and in some cases, actually drop the whole entire thruster out through the bottom of the tunnel and through that door. And then you'll have a crane on the outside standing by to be able to take the load and lift it completely up and out. Wow. So like, so that's, that seems like a pretty advanced, uh, operation there, but maybe it's not, I don't know. Is that uh, something is. that, is that something that you would have gone over in your school in, in Jacksonville? Like you would have <laughs> tested that not. or that is past the school and you got to learn is, that kind of on the job. 
Yeah, yeah this is all on the job training. All wow. on the job training. And so how do you do that? I mean, that seems super dangerous and it seems like one uh, kind of is that a one man job or are there several people doing this? Oh no, you need a you need a, you team. Need a whole team. Uh, you'll need a twenty four hour crew, two teams of, you know, six to eight guys. So six to eight guys and you're you you would basically have a new guy that's gonna kind of watch a couple of times and then start to become more and more involved. Is that how it works? That's that's correct. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes the new guy will get in and, you know, do some of the rigging or do nah, more so like as a as a brand new guy, maybe a new no, guy who's yeah, like yeah. a year or so in, they will kind of give him a little tasks like connecting shackles and things. But yeah. in, in the very beginning, we need to uh, what's called the runner. So the yeah, guy yeah. who's inside of the habitat performing the okay. actual like thruster job is going to require things like tools and water and even food. So you'll have to have a, a guy bring down all the things he needs, uh, depending upon what it is. If it needs to stay dr uh, dry, we have dry boxes, which a dry box, are you familiar with? It? It's just basically a big sure. you know, bucket with an O-ring and you seal it. So whatever is inside stays dry. You bring that down to the, the diver inside the habitat and then you send back up whatever you don't need. So that runner is basically the new guy and that's his first experience diving on a on a thruster job or anything regarding a habitat and as a new diver to be able to visually see how all that works it's 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 mind-blowing like my very first time like i was i had the luxury of being able to do it in cozumel mexico and in cozumel your visibility is just like you know over 100 feet you can see everything right. and up until that point i've been diving on these thousand foot ships in three to maybe five foot of visibility. So my scale of things that I'm actually working on in my mind, I'm like, it's not as big as I might think, but the day that I got to dive in Cozumel and make my way down to the propellers, everything was in full view. I mean, you could see the whole entire propeller, the whole rudder and everything was just huge. Everything was huge. I mean, you're talking about a, a propeller with like a 30 foot to 35 foot diameter. And at that point, you feel like like this, you know, yeah. you feel like you're just this small, like an inch high because everything around you is just in full view. So and that's the propeller it, on the thruster. What does the main propeller look like on a boat like that? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm discussing. Oh, OK. May, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So like the bow thruster props are anywhere between like six to maybe eight foot in diameter. Right. But the job that I was performing in Cozumel uh, was similar in the sense that we were using a habitat but it was on the shaft of the ship where we were exchanging uh, the seals uh, on the shaft. So uh, that, that propeller was about 35 foot in diameter. Each blade stood at about like 10 to 12 foot. Wow. It was, yeah. it was insane. Explain the material of that habitat. Oh yeah. The material of, this, of these habitats, like it's, it's basically a bag and it's a very, very, very high density material that's cut resistant, heat resistant, and you could probably, I wouldn't do it, but you could take a knife to it. And because of the material that is created out of it, it's just, it'll, it'll maintain its, uh, its strength, even through a, a laceration. And wow. you want, you want that because when you're working inside of this thing, uh, and it's full of air, you know, it, if you puncture it, the last thing you want is it just a slight slice open from top right. to bottom, because the amount of water that is going to replace that air is going to come on top of you like uh, like a semi truck, you know, yeah. right onto it onto your head. So, 
uh, it's, it's like a military grade, you know, I can't even describe the material and I probably shouldn't in all honesty, this is <laughs> things <laughs> that they don't secret. want out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so you got to be like the new guy on something like that. Like how long is it going to be until you're actually being like part of that process or even leading that process years? Well, I mean, for me, it took about two and a half years and him, it took even a little bit less, I think. Yeah being a part of the six to eight months of doing this stuff. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And um, it, it really comes down to like the, the team that you're working with and like, you know, if they need certain guys, you know, like they sometimes like guys are spread thin because um, my, the company that we worked for, they, they have offices globally and we repair and maintenance ships all across the globe. So we'd have guys traveling all across the world to fix ships in other places. And when you have a ship that pulls into LA and, and they're like, Hey, you know, we need this done. It's like, well, these are all the guys we got. We got to make it happen. And, and Dylan was able to do that. And he stepped up and made the job happen and successfully accomplished the goal. Nice. Yeah. A lot, a lot of it comes down to with those technical jobs is the work ethic as well. Uh, you know, of the you whole team that, not not yeah, just yeah. A, a, absolutely absolutely you want everyone to communicate well and everyone camaraderie you know good camaraderie and everybody gets along and communicates uh, communication is key with diving it's, so it really is it, it these teams that you have though is is that a consistent or are you being constantly put in with other teams and other people and other individuals and all over the place yeah you're you're getting constantly thrown around it's not really steady yeah so yeah, so do you have to work on your leadership skills to to step into a new group that, of people that and that is and gel them together or that's a that's a very good topic tom uh we brought that up in one of our other episodes leadership is a big part of commercial diving and it's lacking and, it's and lacking it lacks a large part of it and we want people to learn right you have a new guy coming on the coming on board and people get intimidated. You know, he may be, he may do really well. And somebody that's been there for a while, like this guy's shown me up, you know, and they're going to just kind of put you down on a level that you don't want to be on. <laughs> so leadership is a big point of why we do this podcast. I think as far as talking about commercial diving, and so I'd you- like to make a point real quick, like leadership can be performed by anybody. You uh-huh. don't, you do not have to be the, um, this, you know, the project manager, the supervisor, you can be the tender, mm-hmm. you could be the, the workhorse, you could be the right guy swing. You, yeah, you can be right out of dive school and, and have a leadership mentality and leadership, just like anything else is a skill set. You have to work hard to be able to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And if you practice those things, eventually someone will take notice and you, but you have to be doing it for the right reasons. You have to be you know, making sure that you're not doing it for, for the money or, or just for the title, because the title, the companies will pay anybody for that title. It's like that. I mean, how do I say that? Like, like I said, leadership is just, um, anyone can perform it Mm -hmm. and to be, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. I just wonder if you have like some books or, or, uh, or people that you kind of pay attention to that, in the leadership space, because some of the things that you're saying are similar to some of the things that I've read before. I'm just wondering if you, if you pay attention to that. I'm a, I'm a big um, reader when it comes to books and that, that 
talk about that subject. Um, I listened to Simon Sinek. I don't yeah. know if you who. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. he, he is a very well knowledgeable man. And as well as um, Leif Babin yeah. and uh, Jocko Willick. Yeah. Who have written, Willick. Yeah. Who wrote, wrote the book Extreme Ownership. And if we had that kind of mentality in this industry, it, it would be, we would be unstoppable. The kind of teams that you could, could build would be just as efficient and successful as, you know, SEAL teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because as soon as you said that, I, I was like, well, that sounds, that sounds a lot like extreme ownership um, of, of anyone can be a leader. You, because one of the things that I learned in that book uh, that I've applied all over and helped other people to understand, especially the employees and other things is like leadership is up and down the chain. So you can lead the people that are above you as well as mm -hmm. they can lead the people that are below them. And, you know, it comes down to like, um, you know, I don't know. He puts all kinds of examples in there. Like, well, this guy's not a good team, team, uh, player. Well, whose mm -hmm. fault is that? It's your yeah. fault because you haven't uh -huh. explained to him what That's a good exactly. team player is. You haven't, 100%. you haven't like you can lead, even though he's a superior, you mm -hmm. can you can somehow explain it to him that look all our lives are are in each other's hands here and if you know you could be doing this I don't know there's a tactful way to communicate that message and there's a not tactful way to communicate that message which is not going to yeah. be effective at all but I would think as exactly. you're constantly getting thrown into different different groups of people. Um, and your life is really in their hands and you've never worked with them before. That's a tricky, tricky kind of thing. And you're going to yeah. have to become pretty adept <laughs> yeah. at, 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 at navigating that situation very, very quickly. And you, you nailed it right on the head with that, man. That's, that's, uh, yeah. That's, and, I mean, that, that's exactly how it, it was when, when you travel to, um, like overseas, you know, I've worked with guys in Japan who I've never worked with before. And not only have I never worked with them, but they barely speak uh, good English and I don't speak Japanese. So, you know, you tend to have to kind of like work with them and, and do a lot of like signing almost mm -hmm. where you're kind of like right. trying to explain. And a good, a good diver who even is hundred percent Japanese with no English background whatsoever, we were able to communicate, which was, that was amazing. And I, I will say like your question you asked earlier about, you know, what about this, um, this industry and this job that we love most. And I think that is one of the most awesome things that I've been able to experience is traveling to other countries, working with people that are in the same industry as me. And we're all there to accomplish one goal, regardless of the, of the obstacles and by teamwork and, you know, good leadership, you're able to overcome those things and watch a ship that needed a repair that's carrying products that are going to people all across the world and to be able to see that ship leave and carry on its, its objective. Yeah. That's, that's good. that was the most rewarding thing. Yeah. And I, I can't even stress that enough. That's yeah. super cool. I mean, that's super cool because there's like such a, such a bigger, I mean, like as you describe it like that, there's such a bigger purpose in, in everything that, that you're doing there. And you realize that, which I think is super cool. You're not just out there fixing a ship. I mean, there might no. be medical supplies on that boat that are going to save lives like, or, or uh -huh. lots of people are going to die if they don't get those medical supplies. I mean, that's on the one end of this extreme spectrum. Then there's a, a 14 year old girl that's going to scream her head off if she doesn't get the thing that she just ordered from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so 
you're saving you're yeah. saving parents you're saving parents around the world <laughs> yeah. i've had 14 year old girl that screams her head off um but uh that's cool man i mean that's it's such a cool uh, um lifestyle and and really really cool to to kind of um for for you guys to be sharing this because i, I really do believe that you know coming from a I, I'm I'm an outsider, but I mean I'm familiar with the ocean. I know a lot of people that work in the ocean. I know lots of captains, and they run all kinds of different boats. But like what you said, like there's no such thing as an underwater welder. I would think that there was such a thing as an underwater welder. Yeah. That that's kind yeah. of what you would do. But the way that you guys are explaining it, it's it it is even more attractive as a as a career to be thinking that all the while that you're that you're doing your job you're acquiring these skills you're acquiring you're you're becoming a jack of all trades just like you said and along the way you're getting uh licenses and accreditations and more experience yep. and travel opportunities like it seems like the travel like now you guys seem like you've been doing this long enough to be really like kind of uh happy with where you are or whatever but is there enough work around you that you can kind of stay where you are or are you still doing all of this travel or or is that part of the lure like do you want all this travel i mean i don't know where where yeah. are you guys with that yeah so so right now i'm not currently um in with the company um blake and i actually are together doing a uh, freelancing so okay. you kind of put your names in with uh several dive companies and you get a call uh, a couple of days before, sometimes the day of, Hey, we have this job coming up. You want to take it or not? And you say, yes, you know, you got your dive gear, you show up on site, you go to work, uh, come home, get paid. And that's kind of where we're at now. Um, you know, we really want to get this podcast rolling mm -hmm. and things going with the new lifestyle. Um, but freelancing, I like it cause I have a lot more free time on my hands. You know, I'm not like commercial diving, I, coming from a, a lifestyle with no schedule. You, you, there is no schedule when you're a diver, you come out of dive school, you get in with the company, you have to say yes to a lot of things and no to a lot of things, personal time. Uh, there is no like, okay, your job is Monday through Friday, eight to five. Now it's Monday. We got a 12 hour shift Tuesday. We got an eight hour shift uh, Wednesday. You got the day off uh, Thursday. Let's do a 16 hour shift Friday. I don't know. I'll call you if something comes in Saturday. Oh, come in at 4am. You got a hole clean uh, Sunday. Come in at 3am. You got another hole clean. You know, it's, it's, there is an unpredictable schedule with diving. So, and that's, and that's for like ship husbandry, but if you're getting more yeah. involved in like the oil and gas industry, it's almost the same thing, but you're going to be gone for longer periods of time. So you'll get that phone call and they'll say, be at the dock at 0600 and the ship leaves uh, out to the rigs offshore. And then you're there for two to three months and then come home with a big fat check, similar to the same idea of mm -hmm. offshore fishing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see those guys, uh, when we fish in Louisiana, you know, we fish around those, those rigs and yeah, and that's a, it's like a city up there. I mean, some of those things are so <laughs> yeah, big, sure. it really is like a city, but I mean, they, I guess they have helicopters that are coming out there all the time. So I guess they're having crew change yeah. and shift change and, and nobody misses a beat, man. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, man, I, I, uh, one of my favorite experiences was actually going offshore uh, I lived on one of those um, dynamic positioning vessels oh, yeah. for about a I, month, month and a half. What was it called? It was called the um, Danny Atkins. Okay. I don't know if that's the one. We fished right next to one of those uh, or a couple of different ones. And the, the guide that we were with was like, yeah, that thing's not 
it, it's just floating there. Like that, oh, that's yeah, not yeah. It's a yeah. dynamic positioning sh- thing. Ship. Is what it's, you're yeah, saying? Explain, explain how that works, just quickly. Yeah. So um, the di- these vessels are there to basically drill the wellhead, mm-hmm. which will then uh, remove that. That ship will then leave, and then they will then build the production rig directly over that wellhead. And the way it works is it's all ran by computer systems. And they'll have a set of thrusters. Some have one on every corner of the ship. Some have, you know, two on every corner and then one on port and one on starboard. And this thing is uh, sitting on two pontoons. And you have a total of what is common, six columns that support the structure above it. And those thrusters are set to a coordinates by a computer system. And then that ship will remain on those coordinates and if it starts to drift off, those thrusters will fire up and then remove, put the ship directly back into position. And that's all happening while the drill operation is, is actively going on. They'll have that drill going down to, you know, depending upon how deep they want to drill into that well, you know, 800 feet, 1,000 feet, whatever. And those drills are very, they're technical. I mean, those things can move like a snake. You know, they, they're not rigid. They can yeah. bend, they can twist, they can turn. So, um, you know, that ship isn't really stuck in one exact point, meaning that like, if it moves a little bit, that well is going to snap or the pipe right. will right. snap, but it, it, you know, it will stay in position and, um, it's pretty amazing. And I was out there, we were removing those thrusters. Uh, they were needing some refurbishing. So we removed them and, you know, as we're removing one by one by one, the the ship is basically losing its control to steer, right? So mm-hmm. as we yeah. got down to the last two of them, uh, the way that we actually were able to remove them and keep the ship in one spot was have we had two tugboats, massive tugs, come offshore, and they basically played tug of war with the <laughs> ship. Wow! While yeah. we while we yeah while we were sitting uh, we were sitting at about like a hundred and 185 feet of water or so, maybe a little more, 200 or so. And we were diving down to 115 uh, to be able to make the transition with the uh, the thruster to the crane. And that's all happening while these tugs are just pulling, pulling, pulling to keep it in one spot. So it was very, very exciting. Wow. That's super cool. Yeah, th- that whole concept, I was trying to get my head around the concept while we're fishing for tuna right next to this thing. And and he's like, yeah, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's just floating there. It's moving and there's thrusters and it's doing just what you're saying. And it's such a huge thing. It's like, yeah. man, that thing can sit in no matter what the <laughs> wind is doing, no matter what the tide or the current is doing, that thing can sit in exactly the same spot. That's amazing. I mean, it really <laughs> yeah, is cool. amazing. And, you know, being able to be on like a crew boat and getting transferred to that ship, that is by far one of the most exciting things I've ever done. Better than any roller coaster ride I've ever been on. <laughs> like you get out there on the on the on these crew boats and they have a man basket that is basically like you can sit four or five guys and you stand on it, wrap your arms around the cables, and the crane operator who's on board the ship that you're about to board will lift you up 250 plus feet into the air off of the crew boat with your backpack, yeah, with your backpack on and carry you up and over the ocean and land you onto the helicopter deck. And Dang, it, yeah, no so matter what the weather's doing, right? Well, well, no, they plan accordingly, right? right. So like the, the crew boats are are aware of like the storms that are in the area sure. and you know they're not gonna 
There is safety protocols. Yeah, but so. still, I mean, if it's slick calm or if it's blowing 20, there's a big difference from that. And I probably both uh, are safe, but 20 yeah, is going to be mean, a wild ride, man. Yeah. Well, let's just say like, you know, in his situation, being up in Alaska, 50 foot seas, I think they'd call an all stop. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So but, let me ask you um, what everybody wants to know. What about wildlife, specifically sharks, mm, uh, but not just yeah. sharks, um, swordfish did you ever see the video i'm sure you have of an underwater maybe it was one of you guys i don't know uh oh. <laughs> it was a, a a diver he was on one of these rigs and a swordfish comes and it like i don't know if yeah. it was going for the dude but it gets stuck in this ladder looking apparatus i guess it was a ladder i don't know what it is but dude i mean a swordfish is a serious fish um yeah he was on bottom that was yeah. that was a yeah. deep saturation dive yeah yeah so what about wildlife is it a concern is it something uh, that you just how do you deal with it? What do you think? Uh, I, I've personally never seen sharks um, out in Florida in like dive school, like a bull shark here and there. Um, Just a little bull shark. But, yeah, a little bull shark. <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> little bull shark. I, I've had the luxury of seeing uh, a total of two. Uh, one tiger shark in Hawaii and oh, one go. great white just off the coast of California right here in our backyard. Um, yeah, they, the tiger shark that was in Hawaii was uh had a name like the the locals there actually had a name for it and because it was it's, you know <laughs> commonly coming into the harbor and uh you know we're about to jump in the water and they're like oh yeah uh i forget the name they they named her but i think betty for the sake of the yeah, story or something nice yeah. like cupcake like, yeah <laughs> something <laughs> so you won't yeah, be afraid of it name, you know? <laughs> something sweet yeah so uh yeah she she comes in and uh i guess and i told my my buddy i'm working with he's i'm like dude there's a tiger shark over there he's like yeah don't worry about her she's fine just carry on with your business and i'm like roger that so had it up jumped in the water you know and at that point you have to you have to maintain your focus you can't think and create this like this story of what could happen because that <laughs> is going to be your own you're your own worst enemy you know like you like especially guys who dive in uh in black water you dive in black water just close your eyes don't start thinking about what's in the dark because the second you do that that's when you start getting paranoia you start getting you know you're hyperventilating your heart rate jumps and then that's when bad things can go even worse so yeah you know you got to just remain calm and my experience of that is true in this up uh this dive i had just off the coast of california here where we were working for the edison power plant uh, the nuclear power plant, I should say, just off Camp Pendleton. And we were making a lot of noise. We were core drilling into this uh, concrete structure that sits over the pipelines that take the water in to cool the reactors. And as we're making all kinds of no noise, you know, we're uh, like bringing in all kinds of just sea life. I mean, mm. there were sheep's head, you know, calico bass, halibut, lobsters were, you know, as far as the eye can see, dude. I mean, they were everywhere. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, as we're doing this, you know, we're we're working and all of a sudden we see this about 13 to 15 foot, maybe great white coming into the job site. Oh, boy. and as we're sitting there, like I'm looking at it and I can communicate with my diver. So for those listening who don't know, we can communicate to each other underwater because our umbilicals, which carry our comms cable runs to the surface and uh, all comes to a comm box so that we can all communicate the guy up top, myself and my dive mate. So I tell my other buddy like, Hey man, what do you know, what, what do you want to do? And he's like, don't worry about it. Just keep working. And as a diver, you're safer, you're safer in the water when it comes to sharks than you are say swimming yeah. or surfing. 
But like I said, like, uh, don't let that shy you away from going in the ocean because you're more likely to get attacked or uh, get struck by lightning than attacked by a shark. Yeah. You know, so that I, for, if you're scared to go in the water, if, if you're listening to this, don't, don't not go in the water because of sharks. Cause sharks aren't monsters that jaws made them out to be. It's those sea lions, man. Those sea lions will get you more than anything. Else. I would <laughs> imagine that they would. I would imagine. I mean, those things are more like a dog. Like they, they just come up and bite <laughs> yeah. you. Like there's so for, many of for them no reason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot everywhere. of, there's a lot of different things. I mean, sharks are, are one thing, but the sea yeah. lions, the, the, uh, um, swordfish um that's that's a serious one we had we had uh, our underwater diver got attacked by a swordfish um and it was are no, you serious yeah it was no joke i'll send you the video a- after this it's on my instagram but uh we were in wow. louisiana and and our diver he's very accomplished and he's experienced and he's been spearfishing in the keys all his life since he was a little boy and he's been the underwater diver for our show for a long time and so the um the swordfish is coming up and our diver got in the, the no go zone. Like Uh-oh. he was between the fish and the boat. And that's a no go because now like the angler is pulling the fish to you. Uh-huh. So if you're on the other side of the fish, at yeah. least you have something stopping the fish, right? Like yeah. there's, there's a pull on the line or you could be on the other side of the boat. So at least you have something between you and the fish. He got mm-hmm. between the fish and the angler and oh. this swordfish is going right along like this. And you see, I'll, I'll send you this video and you can look at it yeah. on Instagram too, but you can see his eye shift like this. Oh. And he's like, Oh, Uh-oh. you're the problem. And, <laughs> and Turns and I mean, like fast, like his yeah. his tail comes and oh. he's holding a uh, an underwater camera, and it's made out of uh, you know high impact plastic and and uh, has a has a frame on the front, but the bill goes. Luckily, the bill goes into the uh, into the camera, probably about that far, and breaks oh. off, oh. and uh, and then you know he's like whoa, and you know, continues to film because he's like you guys. He's like, okay, do the job, you know, okay, I just, but, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, the danger was over right then. And then, you know, shortly after here comes the gaff and they, they get the fish, but we all were like looking at that. And, and finally we oh go my. to pull that thing out and none of us could get it out. It was like the sword of Excalibur, man. That thing oh was in there. Goodness. So deep and and wow. and penetrated into that plastic so hard we couldn't ever get it out we had to break the thing to get the bill out because he's like i want that i want yeah. that piece right Put it on your yeah. wall yeah, yeah. but oh it's my a, goodness. you know those swordfish are no, are no joke and that's the last time that we'll be diving with the swordfish now sailfish different story never had any problem with those never seen any aggression whatsoever i mean you yeah. could probably have an accident with a swordfish or a sailfish where where they're jumping and maybe maybe they jump and come down and you happen to be right there and you could take a bill but the swordfish and i don't know about marlin um they could probably be aggressive but i can tell you that sawfish and swordfish are aggressive. two things that i don't want to fish i don't i don't want to swim with like those things yeah. um that that sawfish is also another really really bad one man because yeah, they're, i would they're, imagine even a sawfish when you catch it bring it up on deck what it does well we, you know? i mean they're so big uh, well we have caught baby 
sawfish um, where you could actually pick the thing up. But for the most part, the sawfish that we encounter in the in the Florida Keys are usually when you're tarpon fishing, you got a dead bait on the bottom, and you don't know what picked it up. Uh, and all of a sudden, you have this 16-foot-long fish on. Now, seven feet of it is a bill, you know, or six feet. A lot oh of God. it is the bill, and a lot of it's the tail. So the actual animal is not 16 feet long, but... I mean, you get this thing near your boat and you're like, damn, this is close to as long as my boat. I mean, this is a huge thing. <laughs> but as they yeah. get mature and they get really big, that bill and the teeth off of that bill get really, really, really long. And wow. you you would make a you would make a horrible mistake to reach down for that thing. Um yeah. but there's some videos yeah. that have been going around. A lot of people have been catching them this year. And you know, they're they're just pulling up on the leader. They think, oh, this is a ray. This is I mean, we do fish in really clear water a lot of times, but if you go back in the Everglades, the water can be really muddy and you don't know what you have for a while. It could be a shark, it could be a ray, it could be a nurse shark. Um, you know, that doesn't fight real hard. It could be um, a ray that you're having trouble pulling up off the bottom. So, you know, the guy's leadering this thing and all of a sudden the bill comes up and like, Oof. you know, real sharp and fast movements oh, yeah. and hits the boat and the guy like jumps out of the way. Um, but that, oh, that's, that's goodness. no joke because that's what they do. Like they go into a school of mullet and they just start doing their bill like this. And, you know, but they're, you know, they're they're a they like to live in murky water like that's how they make their living they go into a school of mullet and they start doing that bill away. and yeah. they're going to hit some things and they're going to fall to the bottom and then they're going to go back around and they're going to eat all that stuff up off the bottom mm -hmm. and uh but but that's a that's a scary one hopefully you never encounter one of those I, I would imagine if you encountered it as a diver it wouldn't it wouldn't be aggressive whatsoever uh yeah, I would maybe I would think well, I that it, I would think that it would just go on it on its on its own way like a like a like a ray or whatever. Yeah. And I think the problem comes when you when you try to handle the thing, like you try to get the hook out of it or whatever, and the, all of a sudden it's like <laughs> handling a live chainsaw, mm -hmm. like yeah. not not a good idea, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, of course. Sure. Yeah. So uh, one one more uh, curiosity that I have: what would you consider to be a a really deep working dive? And what is a routine working dive and what would you consider a shallow dive? And, and also like the, the time that you're spending down there, because you're, you're using different gear than, than your, your recreational scuba diver. So I would think mm -hmm. that most of the people that are listening to this, you know, spearfish dive, get lobsters, stuff like that. They're kind of familiar with the tables and how long you should be able to stay down, but you guys are doing like different things like with your dive helmet right there. And I don't know. Yep. So 17 Bravo. That's the model of that hat right there, which is in the industry. It's called a hat. Okay. Um, I'll be yeah. sure to call it that from now on. It'll seem like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right on, right on. Cool hat, bro. <laughs> I, I think with uh, surface supplied air without having to change your uh, air gas mixture yeah, would probably be a deep dive would be 250. Right, that'd be a deep dive. Hundred hundred feet would be a deep dive. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, really. But in, in all honesty, it's based off of uh, if you're still diving air, because this the moment yeah. you change from air to mixed gas, yeah, that's considered uh, deep diving, and now you're getting in, into the realm of certio uh, twos, which is surface decompression, which is when you get put inside of the chamber and then 
it's a controlled decompression system. So at that point, it would be considered uh, deep. But for the most of the work that we, myself and Dylan do, it's all on air. Um, like 40 deep, feet? Yeah. Like the deepest dive I've ever done on air was 185. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. you get, you get, yeah, you get what's called nitrogen narcosis, which is, has the same effects of kind of being drunk. Yeah. And, you know, you have to kind of function and, and still perform your job in those uh, circumstances. Now, when you dive that deep on air, you're still abiding by the U S Navy dive tables. So your diet, your time at that depth is very limited. You have like four or five minutes to perform your work. And that's where the big money drops come in because you have to consistently change out guys because you can only perform work for so long. But the time that you're spending the rest of the day basically is inside the chamber and doing your decompression. And once that decompression is done, you know, you're, you're done for the day and you tend or whatever, but yeah, you get paid for the whole day. But like, what would you say would be like a, like an average dive for us? An average dive would probably be, yeah, 35 feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 35 foot, which 35. means that you can stay there for a total of 232 minutes without coming up to the surface. So once your time is up, that's, that's your day. And then now you're there to tend or, you know, drive the boat or whatever you need to do up top, mm-hmm. but um, shallow water, anything above 20 feet as per Navy dive tables, it's considered unlimited. So we've spent myself and Dylan have alike have spent hours and hours and hours at 20 feet. Like I, I, the longest time I've ever been underwater per se, which is inside of the habitat we spoke of earlier was 14 hours without coming up. Wow. Yeah. My first job as a runner on a seal job in San Diego, uh, that was my first, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, technical job. Uh, I was like 12 hours, just taking tools and back and forth to the divers in the habitat. In the what water, happens the if you have to pee? Well, uh, you do the, the deed. You just gotta <laughs> go, right? You do the deed. Unless you're in a dry suit. I mean, you can cut yeah. out probably real quick. And, yeah. Uh, you don't want to pee in a dry suit. Or they yeah. make little, they make little pee valves for your dry suit now. Really? You can, yeah, you can install a little uh, a valve. I don't know how much they are. We don't need to get too in depth in that one though. They're like a couple. Well, I mean, that's the question everybody wants. I mean, they're, you're like 14 hours. My God, I'd have to pee like 10 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, you do the business. Uh, uh, I mean, in the habitat, it, it, you're you're able to kind of handle your your business a little bit easier per se because you're inside of the habitat where you're. You're taking, you took all your gear off, right? you know, yeah. and you, you know, you take care of your, your business without coming up and then you just put your, your suit back on and carry on your way. But there has been dives where you're like, cause like our dive hoses are about 600 feet in length, some of them. And when you're 600 feet away from the boat and you're, you're performing a certain job, sometimes you have to make a decision, you know, it's like, well, do I want to swim all the way back? wait for my tender to come up on all that hose, <laughs> climb up the ladder, take all my gear off, unzip, un, you know, find <laughs> my, yeah. you know, the toilet, which could be on the dock, like a hundred yards away. That would have to be the bucket. biggest emergency yeah. in the history. Yeah. Of, of- or, or the alternative is to remove your bailout in the water with your helmet on and hold your bailout with you and then undo your wetsuit, pull your wetsuit down to your ankles while trying to swim or hang on to something, perform it's, your business, and then uh, pull the suit back up and put your gear back on, and not even tell topside what's going on. So just they don't in the water. They it's don't even know what's happening down there. You're just down there doing <laughs> <Right>. your thing. <laughs> Sounds so, like you just should 
be really careful about your intake before a long dive like that. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta lay back on the coffee, lay back on the, uh, the if you, you know, anything tobacco as you chew tobacco, smoke. And yeah, yeah. Just take it easy before you get in the water. Uh, right. No heavy, big lunches or breakfasts. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's coming out, man. That's coming yeah. out. That's, yeah. that's a, that sounds like a problem either way. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot of, yeah, Thank it could be pretty shitty. It could oh, be yeah. pretty shitty. Yeah, I guess you know, uh, fully pun intended. Uh, yeah. That's cool, man. Well, you guys got an awesome lifestyle, man. You got a cool podcast. You got what's what's the what's the the uh, apparel company? It's uh, hanging lead. So hanging lead. I don't know if you can, yeah, you can, I can see, see this, but that's I can see. It's an awesome be. logo, man. You got the hat. You got the fishing rods. See, I yeah, call yeah. it so, both the right thing. Like it's not fishing yeah. poles. It's it, fishing rods. Yeah, and this this is called the uh, the traditional Mark V, Mark v. which is you know iconic. Everyone knows what that looks like. Yeah, it's like and, that movie uh, when they when when the the dive movie with Cuba yeah. Gooding Jr. and yeah, uh, that's it. And he put Men that, of Honor. Yeah, that was such a that's, such a cool scene when he what what, what did he have to do there? He had to put he that had to on. Walk. And what did he do? He had to take like a hundred steps or something with his gear on. Right? Yeah. Yeah he, had, yeah. he had to walk with it because he had lost his leg in that diving accident. Right. Yeah. Right. That was a great yeah. movie. Yeah. Do it great. in a courthouse. Is that the, <laughs> is that the, um, is that the river runs through it of, of dive movies? Like, I don't know. A river runs uh, through it was like made everybody that ever thought that they might want to go fly fishing, made them actually go. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I'll have to watch that one. But, <laughs> That that's a great one. Um, there's also uh, a movie called Pioneer. Oh, Pioneer! Oh, yeah. Which which is a great movie. It's last the true, breath as well. Yeah, Last Breath is a great one. The uh, Pioneer is the true story about um, the American divers working with the uh, the Norwegians to be able to uh, dive to depths well beyond their means at that time because the Americans had the breathing gas mixture correct and the the Norwegians were in need of it to perform the work that they were doing because in off the coast of Norway, the water uh, depth is like a thousand plus and they were installing the first oil pipeline out of the North sea and bringing it into Norway. So they had to perform uh, habitat work actually on the ocean floor at a thousand feet, but they had to breathe that. that, that, Yeah. They had to habitat. They had inside of a habitat. So, it was all dewatered and this uh, structure sat over the pipeline and they performed their work. What and was the, that, what was the way that they got to a thousand feet? They would have to take that habitat down or yes. they're going, they're not going by themselves down there. No, right? So, so that's, that's a whole nother topic. That's what saturation diving is um, very, very technical, very in depth. They, uh, when you're diving to those depths, your body has to become acclimated, acclimated to the environment. Right. So you actually are living inside of, uh, the best way to describe it would be like hamster tunnels that are on board the ship that is pressurized to the same working depth that your current, like the job is at. So if the, wow. the job is at a thousand feet, the pressure inside of that living quarters with your bed, your, your toilet, your kitchen, everything is it's, it's pressurized to a thousand feet and they have what's called the dive bell, which is a, uh, assist, uh, system that the divers enter that can be removed from the actual living quarters and then lowered through the center of the ship, what's called the moon pool. So they lower that diving bell with the divers in it all the way down to the depth of the job. And when the pressure becomes equal 
they are allowed to then open the door and then basically get down to the job. So it's as if they're taking the bus to work, wow. doing their job, get back in the bus, and then taking the bus back up to home. It's that, literally being an aquanaut. Yeah, that's like, that like, is wild, man. Is that healthy? I mean, do, uh, do, do, are there any effects when, from, from living like that for extended period of time? When performed correctly, then, uh, you know, no. I mean, there are obvious, like, stresses on the body, you know, such as working hard, and physically exerting yourself at those depths. But it, when you're working at those depths, it's not about working hard. It's about working smart. Mm-hmm. Because safe. if you if you work too hard, you could potentially, uh, you, you're more at risk of uh, getting DCS, which is decompression sickness, also known as the bends. Yeah. So when they, when they finish the job and they go back up through the moon pool and they get back up and they, they will, will hook back up into the hamster tunnels, and then how long will they live in there? Will they just start to slowly change that pressure or what will they? I think it's like a month of decompression. A month? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so they're living in there for about Those a guys month had a to make a million dollars. Like they were in there for a <laughs> month and they go down and do a little work and then I they come up and live there for a month again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're making a, a good amount of money. I guess like a thousand dollars a day or something like that. Yeah. A thousand to like 1500. Yeah. And there's, there's obvious hazard pay involved on that as well. Yeah. Right. Now they're making some money for sure. But like I said earlier, you have to be okay with being away for, from home from that long. And the movie that uh, that Dylan brought up earlier called Last Breath is a great true story. Both these movies, Pioneer and Last Breath, are based off of true events. And uh, the movie Last Breath is uh, it's a little bit nerve wracking for those interested in, in getting into this industry because <laughs> it has you know this this job has potential dangers if you sure. don't understand you know if you don't understand that and and uh you know think that it's all going to be hunky dory then it's not for you but you know if you have the the uh, adrenaline junkie kind of attitude and you're willing to you know do things like slow is smooth and smooth is fast that's a, a common thing in the industry you have to work smart and slow and smoothly because it's better than working fast abruptly and causing more problems. And mm-hmm. at those depths, it's, it's life or death. Wow, man. It's fascinating, dude. I learned so much talking to you guys. <laughs> um, it's awesome. We got to do this again. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd love yeah. to have you guys on again. I, I'm going to listen to a bunch of your um, podcasts and it's cool, man. What a, what a, what a interesting way to make a living. I mean, it really is. And, and, I'm not a complete outsider, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things. I, I had no idea there was that much in, involved in it. So really cool, man. Really cool. Yeah, we look forward to it. We look yeah. forward to maybe having you come on, uh, onto our show as well. Let's do it, man. I don't know what I can, Absolutely. we'll talk about sawfish and swordfish and, and dangerous like things that'll make people look <laughs> over their shoulder. I got, I got I to tell you, Tom, it's a dream of mine to have my own, uh, fishing uh, charter business right on do it yeah. I, I i that is a big dream of mine well we'll make it happen we'll make in, it happen you're in a great place there in southern california there's there's uh tons of great fishing there i mean i know like lots of lots of good yeah. opportunities there everything from the big sturgeon that they have and and i had some friends yeah. there and they would fish the striped bass and the tuna and and uh yeah. some great trout fishing there i mean it, we're, we're starting to get yellowtail coming up from mexico right now uh, so yellowtail's on its way and mahi mahi is definitely right behind it yeah. right well we can certainly talk about uh the road to becoming a a uh, a charter guide um if you want to do that when 
when I come on your show. But yeah, happy, and happy uh, to do it anytime, man. And Hanging Lead will sponsor the whole thing. Okay. Yes. Love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for uh, for spending time with us and uh, tell everybody where they can find your podcast and uh, how they can buy your shirts and everything else. Yeah. So uh, if you guys go to www.hanginleadapparel.com, uh, that's our site for our apparel right now. We're doing a bit of a sale. Uh, we're getting some new merch coming up pretty soon. Um, it's going to be some pretty cool designs coming your guys' way. Should be uh, should be good stuff. Yep. And uh, you can find the Instagram on uh, hanging underscore lead. And you can also follow uh, the podcast as well on Instagram, which is under Breakdown the Dive, all one, one word. And we are currently on all platforms, uh, including Spotify, Pandora, um, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio. And we are also on Waypoint TV along with Tom Rowland. <laughs> right on. I love the plug there. Nice. It's really sweet. And if, if any, if anybody, right uh, <laughs> if anybody is interested in the industry, man, feel free to give us a, a little message on Instagram or an email through uh, our Instagram there. Um, we're more than welcome to talk with you guys and uh, about the industry. Yeah. And also like, me and Dylan both came from backgrounds uh, originally with no ocean experience. You know, I came from the restaurant industry. He came from retail and you can make it. It doesn't matter, you know, what your background is. What matters is, is how bad do you want it? You know, it's not about the size of the dog. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. So if you are willing to push your limits, you know, get with the right people. It's all about who you surround yourself with. Like I surrounded myself with a bunch of ex-military guys who were, over in Iraq and Afghanistan. And those guys put themselves through, through hell. And mm -hmm. while I was in dive school, those guys were the ones that gave me motivation to push my limits past what I thought was possible because, you know, I didn't think that I was capable of those things, but when you're around a good group of guys and who are willing to help you and, you know, you'll, you'll be surprised on how far you can go. And that's what we're here for. So anyone that has questions regarding the, the industry of diving, captaining, surfing, fishing, anything ocean related, we're here at your disposal. Absolutely. And, and, go ahead. and getting into uh and getting into an industry, it's it's very important uh for the listeners to know um you should always know your why. Always know why you're doing it and uh, know where your it's why to take you. Know your why. It's awesome, man. Those are good messages. A lot of people need to hear that, especially with um people that um you know, this, this last year, you have a lot of people kind of questioning yep. what it is that they're doing. Is this really what they want to do? You, a, a lot of people kind of uh, send me some sort of message about, you know, thinking about becoming a fishing guide or, or getting into fishing retail or, or really just changing, you know, from one job to another. And it's really a message yep. that, that people need to hear is that you, you can do it. Like it's mm -hmm. not about experience. It's not about, you know, not even really about who, you know, I mean, it, it, between the three of us right here, we all, we got into some sort of career that was pretty unlikely. And this mm -hmm. is, these are the type stories that I really like on, on this podcast. Uh, you know, whether that's somebody becoming a professional backpacker, which I, I have mm -hmm. had that guest on, uh, wow. which is super unlikely. She, she, just became a professional backpacker because she hated her job and she wanted to do it 
differently. Yeah. And so yeah. she makes That's cool. YouTube videos <laughs> and she's doing quite well. Um, but <laughs> I have um, a ton of different uh, guests that have, have, have made this really unlikely career jump into something that they had no experience with. They had no connections, but they really wanted to do it for whatever their own reasons were. And just like you say, man, if you, if you have a good reason why you want to do it and, and you're not afraid to work really hard, you can make yep. anything happen. Uh, no, despite how difficult or competitive that, that job field seems to be, it yep. is possible. And, and there's always room for somebody that's willing to work harder than everybody else. I mean, Absolutely. it's just the way it is. You guys see it. I see it. But the person that is making that jump has trouble seeing it sometimes because they're yep. looking at it like we're all looking at it from a place of, yeah, I came from not knowing anyone and not having any experience. Looking back on it, there really weren't as many challenges as I thought there were. Mm -hmm. But when you're on the other side of that, looking at like, something, yeah. it looks impossible. And sometimes yeah. people just need somebody like you guys just to just to tell them that it is possible. And and in fact, yeah. I'll I'll even give you a little hand. Like, don't do this, do this. Mm -hmm. This is this is a good path. That one, eh, not so good. You know. And but, the hard the harder the obstacle, the 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 better the reward. That's right. I believe that Absolutely. fully. I believe yeah. that fully. Well, you guys are cool dudes, man. I'd like to come to California and hang out. I love, I, I love like that area, Let's man. Do it's, it, Tom. it's super cool. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite places is Encinitas. Where are you uh, in around that Carlsbad, Encinitas kind of? Uh, we're about an hour, hour yes, north. Okay, hour an hour north. north. Yeah, my wife yeah. and I drove that whole thing from uh, from um, um, the 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 Seal Base, Coronado, all the way up uh, to basically L.A. And yep. um, turned around when we got to LA and went back the other way. Cause no, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, man, come out and uh, come out and go fishing. Blake's building his boat here in the driveway. He's got a nice boat. I got my uh, little lure sport fishing boat. We can all go do some offshore fishing Sounds and have a good, good time. Man. As long as you keep That's me out of that dive suit. I'll be, I'll be happy. <laughs> no, no promises. No promises. <laughs> All right, man. All right. I would like to do some spear fishing out there. That'd be pretty cool. I, I think. Yeah, we're, we're of... linking. We're linking up with uh, Seven C Spear Fishing, uh, who we just recorded with yesterday, who's based out of Long Island, okay. and uh, we're trying to we're trying to get him out of here out here too. <laughs> right on. Right on. Well, I'll let you know when I come out there. But uh, as right. far as today goes, man, that was awesome. I, I enjoyed the stories. I enjoyed everything. Let me know when you want to do your podcast. I'll be happy to be on there. And Sounds uh, good. Otherwise check out their podcast man lots of cool stories lots of cool uh eye-opening things but uh thanks guys i really appreciate it, appreciate we'll, it uh, we'll talk to you soon yeah uh, thank you talk to you later man